Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Daniel. We're in chapter 6 today, and I'll be reading uh, verses 1 through 5. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. May God bless this reading. You may be seated. Amen. Good morning, guys. Great to see you this morning here at the PAL. Okay, it's great to see you. Not super great to see you at the PAL. Wish I was seeing you somewhere else, but that's all right. For now, this is where we're at because it's the Lord's will. Uh, and it's mysterious, and so we will endure, which is what we're going to talk about today. Um, we have a baptism next week, uh, spring, beach, potluck, and baptism. Uh, if you're interested in the baptism part of that, please let us know. Uh, if you're interested in the potluck part of that, because I know you are interested in that. Uh, there's actually a sign-up sheet at the table back there that has a black tablecloth on it. Uh, you can sign up to bring some food, bring something to drink uh, or whatnot, and uh, join in the festivities and sharing that. If you didn't get one of these already, uh, we've got these floating around for you. They have an address on there. We're going to begin at 6 p.m. next Sunday night at 8,000 West Gulf Boulevard in Treasure Island. So it's near a little pavilion, it is a little pavilion there. Uh, there's a playground right near the pavilion. We will break open the food and have a feast together. Uh, and then as we near sunset, we'll go down toward the water. Uh, we'll baptize um, and take all sorts of selfies. So uh, that's what that's all about. Really a fun time, so plan on joining us. Again, the sign-up sheet's back there on the table. If you can bring some food, that'd be great. Uh, also, if you need to have, those, uh, have that information digitally, you can find it on our Facebook page because there's an event with that on there. So wanted you to know about all that. And... Uh, I think that's all we've got, or that's all I've got as far as announcement-wise for you. Um, we're finishing a series this morning. Uh, always good to see something to its completion, and so uh, we had 10 weeks. We had endeavored to do 10 weeks uh, in this series called A People Planted, where we've looked uh, a little bit at the life of Daniel, uh, and then we've also looked a little bit at kind of some of the characteristics uh, spoken of in the New Testament about what the church uh, could be uh, in the world. Uh, mostly our concern in this series has been kind of about the, 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 the reason God has us here. Um, partly the reason God has us personally here and also partly uh, the reason God has us as a church here. Um, and obviously we're a young church, new-ish church, um, and we believe that God has established this place as the time for us um, this time period, this location, this city, uh, these people, uh, we believe that God is sovereign over all of that, and in his knowledge and in his wisdom and in his guidance, he has led this 
thing to fruition uh, for the sake of us? No, for the sake of those who don't know Jesus, for the sake primarily of Christ's own glory that he might be known. And so we've been wanting to, to kind of just explore that idea. Uh, part of our um, inspiration for looking at the idea is the book of Daniel. Uh, because Daniel was a good little Jewish boy like we know, and he was caught up in the exile, the captivity of Israel when Babylon came and conquered the kingdom and stole away uh, all of these people into a wicked, evil kingdom, um, ransacked the temple, stole a bunch of the, 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 the goods from the temple, kind of destroyed temple worship as the Israelites knew it, and, and pulled them into a foreign land. And in the midst of that captivity, a prophet named Jeremiah spoke to the people and said to them, don't listen to the false prophets who tell you it's not going to take long and you'll be out of here. Don't listen to those guys. They're lying to you. The Lord God actually wrote a letter to Israel through Jeremiah at the beginning of that exile and said, stay. Stay in the city. Stay in the place where you've been taken away into captivity because it is the Lord's doing and as you stay, seek the prosperity of the place that I have sent you. He said, build some houses, plant some gardens, find wives for your boys, find husbands for your daughters, establish yourself in that place. And then a, an audacious claim was made by Jeremiah. He said, seek the prosperity of that city. Seek the well-being of that place because in its well-being you will find your own. And so Jeremiah wrote that letter to these exiles in Babylon, and Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we see some of their story in the book of Daniel as they're living out their lives in the midst of a wicked, evil empire. The king who stole them into captivity was a megalomaniac. He murdered people for fun. He ruined entire households and nations, and they were to serve that king. And we saw early in the book of Daniel, when we looked at it several weeks ago, that Daniel and these three friends of his served so well in that kingdom that they actually earned the right to serve at higher places. And they actually earned the right to speak to the king in some powerful moments. And we saw in one of our weeks that Daniel actually was a part of God opening the eyes of the king of Babylon to God's great glory. Um, and so as we kind of have been journeying through looking at this, we've wanted to say, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for me? What does that mean for us? Because we're not in Babylon, so to say, but we aren't in our home. If we're followers of Jesus, we know that there is truly a home uh, that we will have one day and that this is not it, um, that we are, so to say, exiles. We are sojourners. We are aliens uh, amongst this land, and we know that what is in power in our day and age, I'm not talking politics, I'm just talking about the spirit of the age, what is in power in this day and age is not what we would hope was in power, right? Godliness and righteousness and selflessness and sacrifice and honor, these things do not rule the kingdom of the world, Selfishness and greed rule the kingdom of the world, right? And so we know that we are in a strange land, and yet God has called us into this place to serve, to be faithful, to endure, which is what we're going to talk about this morning. 
along the way, and I didn't bring the book up this morning, but along the way we've taken some cues from a book called Thriving in Babylon by a pastor named Larry Osborne. Today, some, not all, not everything, but some of our conversation comes from the final chapter of that book, chapter 20. Um, so if you have been reading that book or looking at that, some of today will correspond with that. Um, but let's read Daniel 6. We're basically going to kind of camp out in Daniel 6 and then uh, see some things pulled out and extrapolated from the New Testament toward the end here. I'm going to read again what Nathan read from verses 1 through 5, not because he's not a good reader, but because we love to douse ourselves in God's Word. Uh, and so here it is again, Daniel 6, 1 through 5. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could not uh, they could find no ground for complaint or any fault uh, because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come today humbly recognizing and aware of the fact that we uh, have little to no control over any of the events of our lives, of history, um, and, uh, and, and that's a hard uh, pill to swallow, so to say. Um, but when we look at the life of Daniel, we see uh, that so much of what happened to him, so much of the events of his life, uh, they were just simply out of his hands. Uh, he had nothing to do with uh, the exile. He was not responsible for the changing of kings in Babylon. He was not the one who set Darius in power over a new empire in that place. And yet he remained and continued to be used by you in the midst of change and in the midst of hardship and in the midst of trial and even in the midst of basically facing his own death. Uh, these are stories that are more than just inspirational. They're more than simply folk tales, God. They are your truth revealed to us to show us your very character and nature uh, and the splendor of your true and everlasting kingdom. And so, God, we pray in the midst of looking at your word and, and sitting here listening to uh, your word, God, that you would speak to our hearts and open our minds and that we would grasp fuller uh, today uh, the truth of you, um, that we would see Jesus a little more clearer today, that we would understand our own, uh, our own lot in life a little more clearer, and uh, that ultimately, Jesus, all of these things would lead us uh, to a deeper worship of you, to more awe. And, um, and just respect and reverence uh, for your name and for who you are. And that, God, you would also just gift us with wisdom uh, for this world. We know that it is a different place. Um, it is a strange land for us. Uh, and so many times things do not go the way we want. Um, yet we can trust uh, that you are still God in all of this. Um, so we look to you, just like we sang. We look to you. Uh, we pray that you would give us all the things that we need, for we are a needy bunch. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the, the story of Daniel here, um, 
we saw a few weeks ago, he, he endured through Nebuchadnezzar's reign and uh, one of the dreams that Nebuchadnezzar had was about this giant statue um, and the statue was made of different elements. So uh, along the way there was gold and then silver and then iron and clay and, and it was just a, it was a, it was a funky looking figure and that was the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had had and Daniel came and interpreted that dream and, and said basically uh, that dream is about different kingdoms uh, and it was a, a prophecy then kind of given about these different empires or kingdoms that were going to come from Babylon uh, through uh, uh, several hundred years up until the point when a final kingdom would come, uh, a kingdom that would start really, really small and would grow ever increasingly until it was like a mountain that filled all of the world. Uh, and we know that that kingdom is the kingdom of Jesus that came small, right, in a manger, in a dirty animal stall with a crying baby. That was the start of the kingdom of God established in the earth. And then there was this kind of ragtag group of, of, of young punks who didn't quite make it in Jewish school, yet Jesus called them to hang out with him, and, and he began to teach and do miracles, and he grew a crowd, but then that crowd withered down to 120 people after Jesus was murdered, and then he rose again from the dead and this crowd of about 120 began to expand as the good news of the kingdom of Jesus spread throughout what was then the Roman world and that kingdom has continued to expand to the point of what we see today and I believe continues uh, to expand if we look globally at what is happening uh, in the church. And so that whole prophecy kind of lined up what was about to come and in in Daniel 6, we see the next stage of that whole progression when the Persian Empire comes to power. So Nebuchadnezzar, remember he goes insane, right? He goes crazy, and then he finally recognizes that God is God, and then shortly after that we hear nothing more about him, so he must have died. And then we hear of another uh, king in Babylon who comes to power. Uh, he throws a big party. That's the one where the handwriting is on the wall. Uh, and, and basically, he's feasting at the edge of war. Um, so right after that huge party, uh, Daniel says, listen, time is up. That's what the handwriting says. And boom, Darius takes power, or uh, Cyrus takes power. Uh, the Persian Empire is established, the Medes and the Persians. And uh, that is all transitioned into what we see in Daniel 6. So this whole world, it's just shaking, right? I mean, it's one of the largest empires that the world had ever seen at that point, and it falls. I mean, that's dramatic. I don't know if you think about history in that way, but holy moly, right? Like, I, sometimes I hate it, but I, I, I think America's probably one of the most prominent nations in the country, or I mean, in, in the world, and, and there's good and bad there, whatever, but can you imagine if, like, tomorrow it was over? That's huge. Everything that you're secure in, everything that you know as normal, every status that you have today, it could all be gone. And so this is like this is the world. Daniel was there, and all of a sudden a whole new kingdom has taken power. But what do we see? This guy gets picked as one of the top guys in this new kingdom, too. It's it's mind-boggling. How wise and how steadfast and how faithful God had enabled Daniel to be that in the midst of the entire world crumbling around him, the king looks out 
And he says, I need three dudes to be like next in charge after me. You, you, and Daniel. All right. Right? Just phenomenal that he was in this position, that God had put him in this place. But one thing that's particularly interesting about this is that this is in 522 B.C., uh, when Darius took his, when his kingdom began, when his, his uh, presidency began, um, and Daniel had been in Babylon close to like 70-ish years, maybe, maybe more, right? And when he was first pulled over, he was called a youth. So he was probably 20s-ish, maybe an older teen. So at this point in history, Daniel's, at least 80 years old, right? Now, like, this is the Daniel in the lion's den story, and you know those pictures that you've seen before had a young strapping Daniel down there with the lions? No, dude, like bent over, cane, right? This is Daniel at the reign of Darius. Old man, very old man. And so here he sits in the midst of a crumbling world, and he is led or pulled out of the crowd and set as one of these presidents that Darius selected over the kingdom. He had served all of these kings faithfully and continuously over this time. And again and again, we see that he has an excellent spirit or, or, or a faithfulness about him. There was something that distinguishes him amongst all of these others. And it's Really interesting to see Daniel endure for years, for decades, these reigns of these kings, right? Because we know this hasn't been a really friendly place for Daniel to hang out, right? His typical customs and the things that he would enjoy as a faithful Israelite, a lot of those things weren't a part of his life anymore. Temple worship, not there, right? dwelling amongst the people of God and knowing a language that was their own, not there, right? He was educated in the foreign land, uh, taught all these different things about literature and wisdom, and it was a very strange place for him, and he endured that thing uh, that whole time for years and years and years. And I think for us, it just begs the question, like, are we looking at tomorrow or are we looking at, you know, further in the future, it's a hard thing often in our time and age to, to imagine uh, much more beyond a week, uh, maybe beyond a year, um, but to think that, that the faithfulness that God would call us to and require of us and, and really gift us is a faithfulness for decades. And Daniel enjoyed that faithfulness of God and lived into it. And again and again, God raised him to a place of prominence and position in all these different kingdoms. And I think it's important to note that Daniel didn't get the life that he dreamed he would have ended up with. Right? Young Jewish boys didn't grow up thinking, I want to live in a foreign land serving a godless king. That wasn't their dream. That wasn't what they hoped for. You know, when he filled out his college applications and talked about what he'd hoped to do with his life, that's not what he put down. And so often, and this is so hard, especially because for many of us, and this isn't, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but for many of us, faith in Jesus Christ and the American dream are so close together that the lines are blurred. And we think of our future, and we think of prosperity, and we think of health, 
and we think of no one that we love dying, and we think of always getting that job, and we think of the bigger house and the faster car. I think of faster cars. The, the nicer car, right? They're, they're so often married, and we, we even read Scripture, and, and it's hard for us to digest the things like Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble. We have a hard time digesting that because our, our faith so often is so closely tied to the American dream. Daniel didn't get the Jewish dream, guys. But here he is as an 80-year-old man, still faithful. He's endured all of these things. And that's just to say, I love you enough to help you understand your life's not going to go dreamy. Right? I mean, even if you still get a house and a family and have a job, those are great things, but I promise you there will be disappointments. I promise you there's a target that you're often aiming for that you won't hit. And when you have those disappointing times in your life, I know there's going to be doubts, and I know there's going to be questions, and I know there's going to be wrestling. And that's why we have to look at the scriptures and see that in the midst of all of the twists and turns, that the faithfulness of God does not end ever. And if we attach our wagon to that faithfulness, we can endure. We can be 80 years old in a foreign land serving yet another godless king and still be called faithful because God himself is faithful. And so Daniel is not living his dream life, and yet we still see he continues in faithfulness. And in verses 4 and 5, we see some jealousy arise. We see these other presidents and satraps get upset because Daniel's rising above. And they try to, you know, they try to, to create a smear campaign, you know. They're like, we're going to do this commercial we're going to quote him from all the lies that he told. We're going to show all the bad decisions he made in office. We'll let the people really know what he's like. They don't have anything. They don't have grounds for anything, right? We see as, as according to the kingdom or in regards to the kingdom, verse 4 says, there was no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. That's not a statement of sinlessness. It's a statement of impeccable citizenry. Daniel was a baller citizen, right? He was a good Babylonian. He lived according to the laws of the land, so long as they didn't violate the laws of God, and we see in a moment how that goes down, right? So these guys cannot find any fault, no complaint against him, and so they figure out, all right, if we're going to trap him in anything, it's going to have to do with how he loves to follow his God, because we know that he lives by a higher law, and so if we can find some kind of accusation and attach it to that higher law, then Daniel will be trapped because we know that he keeps being faithful to his God. So let's figure out a way to do that. Right? And so then in verse 6, we'll continue reading here. The presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents 
of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. And so these guys basically hoard together in opposition of Daniel, and they say, to kind of trick the king, they're like, hey, set a new law that nobody can do anything and sign it so that it can't be retracted uh, because you're great, you're awesome, and that's how it should be. And so the king signs this law into effect, and it is something that is going to do Daniel in. So continuing to read verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. And we know from chapter 9, which Jason spoke on a few weeks ago, what some of his prayers looked like. Uh, Verse 11, Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the junction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. You see a little bit of regret in there. He says, That's what the law says. He doesn't say, Yeah, that's what I say. He's anxious about this. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored until the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and the Persians, that no injunction or ordinance the king establishes can be changed. And so the opposition that Daniel faces here is strong. He's living this faithful life. He's pursuing faithfulness to God in the midst of an evil empire, and these men do not like it whatsoever. And so their response is a fierce opposition. They even trick Daniel uh, and trick the king into this whole situation. And then verse 16, the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. Because which, which kingdom doesn't just have a den of lions hanging around? The king declared to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually deliver you. What an interesting sentiment from a godless king who sees a righteous man suffering unjustly. There was so much faithfulness in Daniel, so much uh, desire for honoring the king and his God that the king himself asks almost for his own deliverance. And the stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, and nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his place, his palace and spent the night fasting. No uh, diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. And we know what happens. Daniel, the next day, they wake up, they go and rush in, and Daniel is not torn limb from limb, but rather he has slept peacefully in the presence of lions, uh, where the king has not slept at all in his own comfortable palace because of the faithfulness of God to rescue Daniel from this opposition that he faces. 
And so then King Darius in verse 25 writes to all the people, uh, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So we see again that Daniel's faithfulness, that God enabling him to stand the test of time, leads to another king making another proclamation to the people, this is the real God. This is the one that we should tremble before. This is the one who has all power. And I love that in the midst of his confession in his letter there in verse 26, he says that God is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. And so this whole picture of Daniel enduring in the midst of this kingdom, serving these different kings, even facing just fierce opposition from these other presidents and these satraps who want to dethrone him and ruin his life, Daniel continues to trust his life into the hands of God. He doesn't turn the page and decide, all right, I'm going to start living differently because it's getting hard. He continues to endure in the righteous way that God has laid before him. And of course, God himself comes and rescues Daniel. And so we look at our lives and we look at what we are to endure and we see often in the New Testament calls to endurance for us the things that we will face and the things that we will be up against as we seek to be faithful to God just as Daniel sought to be faithful to God. A couple of the things that we have to face that the Bible calls us to endure, one is opposition or persecution, just like what Daniel faced. Often that is the case for those who follow Jesus because We are not of this world, we are strangers and aliens, and often that is a tripping up place for those who do not follow follow Christ as well. We're also called to endure suffering, we're called to endure the fight against sin, and we're called to endure in faith. So just a couple of verses to look at each of these different things as we seek as well to endure. 1 Peter 2, 19 to 21 says this, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Now, more than likely, because of the freedoms that we enjoy, a true persecution where our lives are on the line, more than likely we won't face that. It's possible. It could happen. But more than likely, we won't face any true uh, threat of harm uh, in our lives. There are dear brothers and sisters that face that every day in other places of the world. And we're encouraged to pray for them and to think of them often and to consider, man, that has to be excruciatingly hard to live through. Um, But we still are going to face opposition. Whether it's real persecution or not, we will face opposition. There are places and times in your life where sticking to your faith and saying, no, I trust Jesus over this world, I seek to, to honor him above any, anyone else, uh, it, it may put you in a place where folks would oppose you. 
And in those times and in those days, we're reminded by Peter here and the life of Daniel that it is not up to us to change the trajectory of our lives to, to fit better into somebody else's picture of how we should be. We should continue to seek faithfulness to God no matter what the cost would be to us. For some of us, it may just be a, a reputation. For some of us, it might be relationships, right? And that, it hurts. That is painful to say, I have to endure in faithfulness to the Lord whether or not you will be my friend. I'm going to have to stay in this lane because faithfulness to God trumps anything else. For some of us, it, it might have to do with work, right? It might have to do with looking at a different paycheck because of something that's happening in the workplace, because of some kind of uh, affiliation that we have to break due to being faithful to God. And that's really costly, right? And it may come to that point sometime in our lives. And God would call us in those moments not to adjust our faithfulness based on the circumstances, but rather to endure in faithfulness to God. It's a high call, and sometimes it's a great cost, but we know that eternal, eternally faithful God will always be faithful to us. One of the other things that we endure is the fight against sin. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12 and 13 says this, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. To man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation... He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Paul calls us to endure through temptation, to fight against the temptation to sin, to never give ourselves an excuse saying, well, God must have done this. No, he, he hasn't. We are led into sin by our own desires, and when they take root, take captive of us, and they lead us astray. And Scripture calls us to long-suffering endurance in the fight against sin, knowing that the ability to endure is not rooted in our strength, but rather what? Paul says, it's God who's faithful. God gives the exit, <laughs> the off-ramp, to get away from that easy lane of sin and to move into the narrow path of resistance against the flesh. And so part of the call to endure is to endure against the fight against sin. Endure in the fight against sin. And finally, one of the endurances that we're called to is the endurance of faith. James, in the first chapter of his book, verses 2 to 4, says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Often the place where we're called to endurance is a place that leads us to struggle with faith. Can you imagine Daniel, right, 80 years old, waiting for deliverance and a new king moves in <laughs> and he's no better than the last one? 
He's still got a wicked empire. They're still in captivity, and he still endures in faithfulness. And eventually, Cyrus, that king, is the one who writes the letter that says to the people, you can go home now. As Daniel endured in that place, the door was open for God to fulfill his promise to Israel to bring them back to their home. You turn the page, and Ezra and Nehemiah happens in the biblical narrative, and they go back to Jerusalem, rebuild some of the walls, and all of a sudden there are people in a city again dwelling with the worship of God at the center of their culture. There's endurance needed when we face doubts. There's endurance needed when we can't see where to put our foot in front of the other one. God calls us to this endurance. Why? Because it produces steadfastness when we face these tests of faith. And eventually, verse 4 of James 1 that we just read, that leads to us being made perfect. The end point of endurance is the reception, finally, of all of the faithful promises of God. The once for all eternity salvation that we will inherit that is given to us as we endure. So the question is, if we are to endure opposition if we're to endure hardship, if we're to endure in the fight against sin, and if our faith is to endure, how will we do that? How? I want to endure, right? You want to endure? How? How do I endure? Well, this is the part where some people would just give you a list of five things. You can endure by doing these five things. And we, we just, we refrain from doing that at Stonehouse. I know it'd be easier and tidier and we could all feel good and go home with a nice list. Just put that on our to-do and get ready to tackle it, right? But I, I just can't look at the Word of God and then just give you lists. It's far too complicated. It's far too nuanced. There's so much weightiness. It cannot be simplified into five easy steps to a better Monday or a happier marriage or endurance. It, it's just never that easy. Endurance cannot be that easy. It's difficult. And the problem with those lists is they just kind of become these religious to-dos. And you're going to go one of two ways. We say this all the time with a list of religious to-dos. You're either going to excel because you're just the man or the woman. And when you get lists, you do them. Some of you are like that. You're amazing list doers. I love you, right? But eventually that gives you a platform for judgment on all the non-list doers. It's just going to lead you to pride. So I, I refuse to give you a list of five things if you're a list doer. Sorry, love you, right? The other way we go with list doing is despair because we're not list doers. <laughs> and, and raise our hands with shame. Aaron, thank you for that. <laughs> he puts his hand up right. Right? We're not list doers. We're procrastinators, right? We constantly miss the mark, right? We, we oversleep and stay up too late and eat the thing that we're not, you know, we're those people, also called humans, right? And so when you fail at the list, when? Where do you go? Despair, right? Or what church has really gotten good at doing is just giving you a new list every week, right? Because you can keep up anything for a week, and you come back and get a new list, and you just try that list for another week. You just keep reload, 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 and you just feel great about yourself, right? Completely being led away from biblical humility. <laughs> Sorry. 
right? It's just, it's catastrophic. And so I'm not going to give you a list. What I can tell you is how not to endure, how you won't endure. You won't endure if you think that it's up to you. You will not endure if you believe you have to be strong enough to endure yourself. That's the bad but good news of the gospel. You're not enough, right? This is the unique perspective of biblical doctrine. Every other religion tells you you can do it. If we really read the Bible and truly interpret it and lay it over our lives, the conclusion is I cannot do it. I am insufficient. I cannot endure. You also won't endure if you don't give room or voice to your doubts and your fears and your insecurities. You will not endure if you just keep pressing those things down. Right? We went through Psalms last fall, and in the midst of the Psalms, we saw so much voice given to fear and anxiety and doubt where these guys wrestled heavily with wondering where God was or wondering why the enemy was better than them or, or why wicked people prospered. I mean, the Psalms are riddled with those voicings of doubts and fears. To ask God why questions is not the unforgivable sin. There's a biblical precedent of pushing towards authenticity that leads us to say, I can admit when it's hard and I want to give up. I can admit when I go to a church that gets displaced out of a cool place downtown, I can admit I'm ticked about that. I can admit that's not fair. I can say that, and I can go to God with a complaint, dang it, why'd you set us up for that? <laughs> I can do that. It's not the unforgivable sin, and I, I will not endure. It's like those relationships and that thing that bugs you. You keep pressing that down, man, and you're just setting a time bomb for the disappointment and the disillusionment to explode to the point where you say, peace, you didn't do your thing, God, out, right? In the midst of suffering, in the midst of enduring, when we voice to God the struggle and, and the fears and the doubts that we find, what we end up finding is a comforter who himself expressed fear and doubt when left alone by his father, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. On the cross, Jesus cried, God, where are you? What a friend we have in Jesus who knows our fears, who's faced doubt and struggle. So give voice to those things. You also won't endure if you think that endurance means always hashtag winning, hashtag thriving, and hashtag killing it. Sometimes the only thing that we can call enduring is just simply enduring. <laughs> it's just getting through. 
And if you've thought that your faith is victorious by always being victorious, you've missed the point of God's victorious faithfulness to you. The victory of faith is not you always keeping it perfectly, but God always keeping you perfectly no matter how shaky you get. He's there. He's a rock. He's steadfast. And he's faithful. And sometimes you're just barely holding on. Just barely. Is God enough for us in those moments? Ultimately, endurance comes down to looking at the one who endured. Because what you need is not a better effort to endure more, but you actually need someone to endure for you. And Jesus did that. Jesus endured for you. Turn with me to Hebrews. One of the most famous chapters in all of the Bible is Hebrews 11. People love it because it talks about Abraham and Moses and David and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and all these people who endured. And we did a series and we walked through that. It was really fun several years ago. But the end of Hebrews 11 is really, really, really important because some people died waiting for deliverance. Some people were cut in half. Some people lost their families. Some people were left unclothed and hungry while they were holding on to a promise. How did they do that? And how do we do that? I think the next chapter of Hebrews 12 helps us to see how. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How should we run? I'm glad we asked. Verse 2 says, looking to Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood, and, you have, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, as children? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Do not be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. If we are to run a race of endurance, whether that's personal or whether it's corporate as a church or whether it's you and your marriage, whatever you're enduring, if you're going to run that race with endurance, your eyes must see Jesus. To look to him as the founder and the perfecter of your faith because what? Because he endured the persecution 
and opposition. Right? He endured the unjust suffering. If anyone should have not had pain in this world, it was Jesus. Yet he had more pain than any man could bear. And he endured in the fight against sin, sinless, spotless, perfect, and righteous. Jesus endured in all the places that we struggle to endure. And because of his endurance, we have a whole new standing with God. Because Jesus endured, I get treated as one who has endured. I get this beautiful fellowship of the Father who loves me because I am in the Son. Because I am in Jesus, the one who endured. And his faithfulness, like it was to Jesus, his faithfulness will endure. Because of Jesus' enduring opposition and enduring suffering and enduring sin's temptation, I have received justification. I've been made a perfect endurer. And ultimately, we park the endurance of God on the faithfulness of God. We read this as a call to worship, but the last verse of Psalm 100 says it like this. The Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And His faithfulness to all generations. Whether my enduring looks like thriving or just barely making it, this is true of God. Whether I cave under some of the opposition, whether my faith gets shaky in the midst of the trial, whether I, I, I remain just stalwart or not, this remains true of God, that he is faithful to the end and his steadfast love endures forever. We endure because Jesus is in us, enduring through us. And as we endure, we see the faithfulness of God ever present before us. One more scripture and then we'll close. 2 Timothy 2. Paul calls Timothy to remember Jesus Christ. Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, Paul says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Paul has a long-range view here of endurance. He says, I stick with it. Because more people will hear the gospel and respond to Jesus as I do. He says, for the sake of those who will believe in Jesus, I endure anything and everything, right? And this is the kind of vision that I need, <laughs> that we need, as we're here enduring through these tests of faith. 
to get our footing as people living faithfully in this community, to seek to establish a church being a people planted by God's hand in this place for this time. If we are to endure, it's for the sake of those who have yet to believe. I don't know what five years looks like. I don't know what 20 years looks like. But Jesus has decided in his sovereign power to put a people here to testify to his grace so that those who had not yet had access to the glorious story of God's gospel will have access to it. Because there are those still there who have yet to believe, still here who have yet to believe. We need that kind of vision for endurance. And knowing Whatever it looks like, we can trust God to it, for it. Whatever it looks like, we can trust God for it. He is the prize that we gain from endurance. And as we endure, God graciously gives himself to more and more people. And that is a beautiful thing to be used by God for that. And so I hope we continue to root ourselves in a community living faithfully to God and testifying to his grace in whatever opportunity we have. If God gives great opportunity, so be it. That's up to him. If God gives little opportunity, so be it. That's up to him. Is he enough? Is his faithfulness enough? Is he enduring as the king of all eternity enough for us? I hope it is. We've got to look to Jesus. Otherwise, we're hopeless. Amen? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, it is hard to imagine what Jesus went through, but we see time and time again in Scripture that he's called faithful, that he's called true, that he's endured, that the greatest suffering that any man has ever seen was faced by the very Son of God, and he endured it. Why? Because he saw what it was for because he saw that it was the means through which God would save the world, because he saw that we would struggle to endure ourselves, and so we needed a substitute. He endured in the fight against sin. When opposition were strong and when suffering reached its heights, he endured. And so, Jesus, we look to you. We'll sing it again and again. We say it with our words we know we need it. May we see a beautiful picture of the faithfulness of Jesus. Because God, we don't have the strength. We don't have the strength to endure ourselves. That's why we are so thankful, God, for your faithfulness to us. That as we stumble along the way, even if we just sometimes are barely hanging on, your grip has not changed. You've got us, and that's glorious. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.